Lights. Camera. Let's take our thinking to Los Angeles. As they say in the biz, action. So, I love that term, think tank. Think tank. I mean, you know what a think tank is? Like, how's a think tank go, Jim? Yeah, you know they got cancel culture nowadays. You gotta watch what you say. It's getting, it's getting real scary out here. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know if I can take the conversation here, but we might as well. It's the rethink tank. Looks like you had a little bit too much to think here in the rethink tank. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And thanks for joining me again. We hopped in the plane, flew to the other side of this island on this floating rock in space to enlighten ourselves because we're not afraid to rethink, meet some new people. And I couldn't be more thankful for the experiences we've had so far. And I owe it all to my new friend, Rhett Lindsay. Rhett, thanks for having me and my good friend, Joe Lopez, out here in, in Los Angeles. We are in Los Angeles, California. Thanks for coming out, Alex and Joe. I appreciate it. It's just been a tremendous, wonderful experience meeting you both and to have you out on my side of the world, man, Los Angeles. And, and you've been nothing but an incredible host. I mean, the, the tour we've been able to have so far is unmatched. I mean, th th what do you think of the experience so far? <laughs> I mean, I'm actually just kind of blown away. I wasn't expecting, you know, Universal to be so friendly, <laughs> you know, to adults. Um, and I was expecting it to be more of a kid experience, but it was amazing. You know, we got we got to see some amazing things so far. See all the studios. You saw Jamie Foxx. Saw Jamie Fox. We literally Fox. went to <laughs> one of the most poppin' restaurants and just <laughs> casually are hanging out with Jamie Foxx just hanging out. I mean, that was, that's too cool. And, you know... I didn't tell you this last night, but I, I did made the make the mention to Joe that um, when everything went awry, we had to audible to this new restaurant. Yeah. We're driving out there. Something in my soul told me, we're going to run into somebody influential, and that's going to tell me the synchronicity. This is where we were supposed to be to begin with. For sure. And it, it literally all transpired. I'm like, this is how the night was supposed to go. Then you turned us on to Cronuts, and that <laughs> changed the whole night. I mean, <laughs> Joe, Joe kept they saying... Were, they were delicious. They were so <laughs> they good. Made or, go orgasmic. Nuts. Orgasmic is the hey, word. Please explain what a cronut is. So, Rhett wanted to... We're going to have it playing in the, in the bottom corner here so you could see our first reactions <laughs> as we dive into this cronut. But he wouldn't even describe it to us. He's like, you, you need to, to just experience it. Yeah. And we show up at this hole-in-the-wall donut shop. And like I was telling Joe... The wall of donuts, I mean, it would blow your mind. Everything you could possibly imagine. And the one donut I would never have picked ever was this cronut because it looks like a regular glazed. It's a plain glazed donut. But, but it's, it's croissant dough. Yeah. And then, like I also said to Joe, I, would, I also wouldn't have known the cheat code of asking the nice lady to throw it in the microwave for six seconds and... It was mind blowing. Mind blowing. Dude. I'm sorry. You're making me. You're making my mouth water right we now. We should get one right after this. All right, but sit. Yeah. Okay. Bet. Okay. Bet. But now to, oh. let, let's settle back into the rethink tank here. Yes. Um, the weird part about that experience was as we are filming and eating this donut, there's this poor casual homeless person behind us. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Take. I'm excited to see our first bite. Here, actually, here, move, move, move this way. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Mm. Mm. 
That is spectacular. <laughs> It's so good. So take another bite. Let's see. I want to savor, savor it. You want to savor it? Take it out. Wow. You need to try one. Yeah. Of flavors in my mouth. <laughs> Did they take pictures of me on the phone? No, no. We're watching them eat the donut. Watching them. We're not we're not recording you. It's delicious. It's good, right? And we're sitting there like, this is org I felt terrible describing it and really diving into how like melting this was yeah. as like there's casually a person suffering next to us yeah. and it seems like because it's just so casually every day that you know it, it the humanity aspect of it slowly yeah, yeah weathers away i don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah i i think that's not just a la problem that's a universal problem Fair point. we're so conditioned in our own reality and our own perception of our reality where if we can't relate to someone else's, we overlook it. And something as simple as us video recording each other, enjoying a donut, and she happened to have been in the background, in her own reality that is different from ours and less fortunate, it just showed me a perspective that we have to pay more attention and be more cognizant of our surroundings and you know, just, just our, our fellow citizens, like we're all humans. And, um, I think the fact that she approached us and talked to us for a bit, it just made me realize where I need to check my privilege sometimes and just be more aware of my surroundings and be more attentive to, um, you know, people's current state. Fair. I like that point. I like that point. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how you've got this, you know, completely, separate world right you know you've got you've got us eating donuts and she's going through trash to try to like find a little bit of food and it's it's tough because you don't know anything about her you don't know anything about her background you know you don't know you know whether she was privileged at one time and then lost her privilege right as you were mentioning you know i think like well take so for what, granted what's very interesting is kind of you know it's Cool. What was really cool about bringing the Rethink Tank to California, right? We're put in a box as people from Ohio. And there's like all these, we live in a world where everybody's on a team. Everybody's got a perception of the other and how those people, you know, think and act and, and everything. Yeah. And the sad part is, unless you're boots on the ground experiencing it, right? Getting on a plane and going to the other side of this thing, you are getting your reality through other people's perceptions and interpretations. And so one of the sad things that like Joe and I had experienced the first day was this like eerie fear to be out about alone, which I had never felt anywhere else, right? And, you know, I've, I've gone to the Middle East, I've gone to Europe, I've been to, to the islands, um, to many cities across the country, Flew to Denver, did that trip to visit you entirely by myself, and went across all over Colorado, visiting different people all by myself. 
And there was never this like fear that, you know, would I ever be in danger by myself? And yet I truly was afraid to do this trip by myself. And we were afraid to walk the streets by ourselves. And yet now I'm here, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's that, again, regurgitation of other people's perceptions. There's homeless people everywhere. It's on the exit ramps of every freeway. It's everywhere. You won't be able to miss it. I'm going to be real with you. It seems incredibly reasonable. It is not like what I, it was made to. Now, granted, we may have avoided those areas so far, and that could be a part of it, but it feels like this beast that was conjured up by maybe our black screens, and it it isn't. I don't, I don't know, but well, my reflection as, right now is it isn't as bad as I thought it would have been. As an L.A. resident, I can say that the city has made a strong initiative towards providing resources and outlets for people of need to have destinations that they can go to to seek shelter. Um, there are many, I guess you would call them like drop points, but there are many areas throughout the city where they're like camps um, or just safety enclosures where they're provided housing providing uh they provided essential you know tools for just cleanliness um that's where a lot of people that are less fortunate um that don't have a place of residencies of residence are actually going to right now so that's my that might be why you see less people on the streets is because the city has made a strong initiative to um not get them off the streets but to you know actually take a step forth a further and provide them resources to get them more acquainted with discovering themselves and to, you know, contribute to society in a way that works for them. But see, you know what the awesome thing about that is to, to me, if that is the case, that s says to me that it's working. Like you're seeing the results you, it, it, too. What you see there, there's a dissidence when it comes to government and there's policymakers and their intentions and then the results that come about. And so there's going to be unexpected factors that come out and they would, you know, no, nobody would have intended those results. Or maybe we received the results that we intended, but there was some, um, you know, a side product that, that was unintended. And now there's a new problem that we have to tackle. And so there's this dissidence of like the intention versus the result. And very, um, unfortunately, maybe maybe that's like the pessimist to me, but it seems more often than not that when policymakers enact, the result isn't always the consequence or, or the, you know, uh, end result that they're seeking. And it's nice to finally see that because, I, I don't know, my perception is totally different than what I intended. Well, yeah, and you have, to, you have to also realize that the media and their – what perception they want to portray of Los Angeles or just any city, but we're talking specifically about Los Angeles and the homeless, um, the homelessness epidemic that's happening here. They're going to portray the most extreme version of it. Um, they're not going to really portray what efforts, positive efforts that the city is making. So when you come out here from, uh, as a guest, as a tourist, as a visitor, you're expected to see the, the most obscure, ridiculous version of, um, that you've been conditioned to see through the media. And when you realize that it's not that, you're like, well, why, well what's going on? What is this? What is the, what is the truth? Um, and, and I think it's tragic that media plays such a pivotal part in what we make for our perspectives on what's happening in the world. I love that. I love that. That's a great, great response. What are your thoughts? I mean, <clears throat> like it, it's, it's great that they're 
provide the city provides help, housing, food, whatever you know these people need. But I think the real problem is attacking the source of the problem, right? Like mental illness, you know, like job loss, things of that nature, like attacking it at the source of the problem, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise you're, you know, you're, you're cleaning up, you know, a, like as an afterthought, right? You're like, here, well, let's... It's, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a, on a wound. I, exactly. Know, is it yeah, really 100%. healing it? Are you doing the, the treatments needed rather than just temporarily covering it? I, exactly. That's, I mean, that's exactly right, yeah. So... So... Kind of something that will, once we flush the conversation out further, I think it will um, kind of reflect back to this point that we've kind of hammered on. But one of the main conversations that we wanted to address today that um, when working with Rhett, flushing out kind of an agenda for the podcast, one of the main topics we were going to talk about was the consideration of equity versus equality. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know... Rhett, what, what really drew me to you from the beginning was that uh, you have, have a strong background in diversity and equity, and I, you know, you're, you're an authority in, in this type of conversation, and I think I, I could have a lot to learn from, there, from you. Thank you. Um, when it comes to this conversation, I have my interpretation of its de- the debate or its consideration mm-hmm. is equity versus equality um, we're, it's, it's a question of equal opportunity versus equal outcome. Well, and it's also a question, not only equal opportunity, but equal resources and equal and, and, and understanding that everyone has circumstances that even if they have equal resources, it still does not make them on equal leveling. I agree. Uh, and, and so that's really something that's complex to unbox, right? Like I think from a typical landscape, you can say, okay, yeah, we can provide this certain group the same resources. Bam, that's equality, right? But due to certain disadvantages and circumstances, those resources might be allocated. Just because you provide it doesn't mean it's allocated to help everyone get on the same equal footing. Sure, but it, that I, I agree with you. Um, but the problem that arises is when evaluating that, we don't look at was everybody given all the equal tools to accomplish that. The way we measure it is the end result, the outcome of the disparity of these outcomes where somebody is extremely rich while somebody is really poor and the kind of anecdote that we like to point to is because of whatever privileges or advantages were were available to them. So while I agree that is obviously a factor and it definitely plays a part in our society, um... One of the dilemmas we deal with is you had a, you're at a comfortable place in your life right now, but it took a lot of hurdles and a lot of work, and you had to take all the steps necessary to get yourself there. Mm-hmm. And so when I sit in the courtroom and there's a 55-year-old man who has had a very difficult life, mm-hmm. he's trying to get his feet under him, and again, not denying that there were all these circumstances and mitigating factors that had an impact, at least making it more difficult for him to succeed as others would. Totally agree those are there. But the other thing that is also at play here is like human nature. And so when the judge looks at him and goes, you know, places are trying to, there are places all around here, you know, we're in Cleveland at the time, there's places all around here dying to hire. You could in fact get a job at Target 
and get paid more than one of our lower-level employees at the court. So there's some really great lower-level jobs that are available to you. And when she looked at a guy and said, you should really have you Have you considered working at McDonald's? I, one, very much resonate with the feeling of scoffing that off, of like, come on now, I'm a 55-year-old man. But also, here's the dilemma we live in, Rhett, is that I worked at Sprint, and people would scream at me, this, this service sucks. And I'm like, yeah, it's Sprint. I have AT&T. Of course Sprint sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where we're at. And um, I, had, I had the crummy jobs. You know, I was paving uh, driveways and doing physical labor. All of that to get myself to law school and now to a prominent position at my court. But so, I'm again, not sure I'm following what your question so, is. So, no, no, no. The point, I, not even a question. The point I want to draw upon is when we ha we have a society, mm -hmm. and while I will totally respect the feeling of a 55-year-old man going, I'm, I, I'm not going to work at McDonald's, but then we have these other debates and conversations that arise of like uh, universal basic income and how we, we want to give people money so they can be creative and do things like this in Hollywood and, and reach their dreams and everything. But what we also need to acknowledge is a society, a, a working machine, a hive like this, needs to have jobs for 16-year-olds. And it's a shame we have a society where grown-ass adults are doing 16-year-old jobs, but a society needs to have jobs that aren't living wages. So that then comes down to how do we get these people in a position where they are thriving outside of that? And so when... You're 55 and you've neglected doing the 16-year-old's job for 40 years. What do I owe you when you look at me and you go, well, I don't want to have to work at Sprint. And it's like, well, I already did that. So well, well, no one owes anyone anything. Like, life is already hard. And life is about doing what as best as you can for yourself with what you have. I think when it comes to advantages and choices that we make – on our careers or job opportunities, who am I to judge, right? Like, who am I to judge that the 50-year-old year doesn't want to take a, a low-wage job at McDonald's? He has every right to make that judgment, but that doesn't mean that he is taking away from the system because he doesn't want to work something that he might not feel comfortable doing. And I think mental, your, your mental state um, it plays a big part. Like no one wants to, it's already hard enough working a job that you don't want to do. Right. Um, why would you want to work something that can continue to, to enhance your, your displacement emotionally, mentally, if you don't want to do it. Right. Right. Even if the opportunity is there. So that's the thing about equality. That's what, that's what it, the difference between equality and equity, the equality point of that is that, Hey, look, the jobs are out there for you. Anyone can apply, any age, any gender, any race, et cetera, is there. That's equality. But the equity part is that, well, this guy's 50 years old, and more than likely they're not going to hire him even if he did apply because they judge him on biases. They judge him on the fact that he's older. Um, you know, he might want more money. He probably can't do as much in terms of um, accessibility physically. Uh, there's a lot of things that can subconsciously make someone say that's not the right guy. And even if he is the right guy, even if he is hired, there still isn't an equal 
opportunity to help him excel necessarily in that position because of his age, because of his current state, compared to the 16-year-old that can thrive more and do more things. But isn't that the result then of his attitudes of 40 years not want? Like, at what point does accountability come knocking at the door? Joe? I I just, I want to, like, chime in just and and maybe make a distinction. (laughs) I think there's, like, financial opportunity, but that doesn't, necessarily equate to you know other opportunities as you were saying like accessibility right like you never know what someone's background is right you don't know you know whether they maybe had some disability that prevented them from doing something you don't know whether they you know were you know maybe the victim of you know racist behavior you don't know you know there's all these factors that you need to consider that aren't necessarily you know financial equality and like financial opportunity aren't the same as you know they're they're very different right right but again i think and and i think in a social conversation in a social narrative it's important to keep those considerations alive you need to focus on those uh the the mold the problem only gets worse if you ignore it totally agree but then on the macro scale when you zoom out and look at a society I want to just make a narrative here. China has has to they need our individuality and freedom to progress in their technology and their evolution. They need our innovation and they steal it through patents and copyrights and they they are literally growing and thriving off of the backs of our evolution. I am of the belief that that evolution only comes from an environment that promotes individuality, that promotes productivity, and, and you know, what helps that thrive is community and everything else. But when it comes to, I agree with your point that there's a lot of other things that have a severe impact, but the society, when, we, when we're lawmakers, policymakers, we want to have an impact that affects the grand scope of all lives, sure. the thing that we need to remember is you are going to stifle that growth when you say to a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk that you don't, you don't get your rockets at the end of this road. I agree with you that it's a problem that we're, we're becoming so, um, I don't know, polar. When, when our finances are becoming so... Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, centralized. It's like a monopoly of, of money and power. Like I agree with you, that's a problem. And, and it kind of only goes that way through capitalism. So maybe you do need some socialistic check to keep it somewhat even. But we also need to agree that you're not going to get the drive and the uh, success out of your producers if there isn't some benefit and and uh there, there's no benefit to your work if me and you are getting the same and i'm what's my what's my uh motivation to evolve so, and progress past you so so you like again like we're, we're on the like financial equality here right is what you're saying like right like you bring out everyone on playing same playing field but well, like you okay. don't i mean but that's not necessarily it's it's not it's it's 
you're not trying to restrict people's growth and success. You're trying to promote people that need. And how do you do that? There's gaps. Well, you do right? that so with ERGs, so like employee employee relations groups. Every look, every company wants their their employees to excel. Like the bottom line is to keep employee retention high and to make sure that people do feel included in an inclusive environment. Hopefully, um, there are resources in place, but a lot of times people either don't know how to seek it out because they're unaware of it or the company's not really pushing it. So they have it created, but they're not really pushing it, you know, and that happens a lot, especially within tech where it's there to serve a purpose, to, to have a check mark off, but they're not really advocating for people to actively participate, actively join. And that's what creates this disconnect where, again, to equity, where you are providing the resources, but some things are getting, those resources are being allocated somewhere else where it's taking a disadvantage from, from the other person in that group and they're not equal. So the goal is to help the person that is of lower accessibility to make them equal to everyone else with the resources that are given. Sure. So what, what I could say I've really grown with or learned from both of yours response is like Joe keeps hammering. It doesn't necessarily need to mean fi finance, financial, no. uh, like the financial measurement. And then to Rhett's point, proposing other things outside of what I would two-dimensionally at surface level see it being finances, to see other possibilities of accomplishing that, that is... So again, I am all for an employee or an, a, an employer creating a group to help their employees thrive in whatever manner they see fit. So those types of things I'm all for. So I guess I really want to ask because, right, you did kind of lean into it right there at the end when you did talk about allocating resources. I think outside of the financial aspect of it, the conversation's pretty cut and dry, pretty clear. I don't think anybody with a heart is against promoting these types of practices and, and seeking them out intentionally. But then where the conversation gets murky is finances, where, again, again, the game of Monopoly, if we're sitting here playing the game of Monopoly and the fruits of that is vaccines, iPhones, and future software, if that's what the game of Monopoly gives us, then... When somebody's kicking ass at the game of Monopoly, it's pretty unfair to change the rules and stifle them and cut them at the knees because we sure as hell still love being able to throw seven vaccines in our arm and go lick the doorknob at a club comfortably knowing that I'm safe off of the back of the game of Monopoly. But I think, again, like, I don't think it's about, it's not about stifling others. It's about promoting the gaps that and other, again, others have. And again, when I have, go, right? like, I'm with you. How do you do that? And if it comes down to allocating resources and finances, that changes the conversation again. Let's let's maybe. I'm curious. I, yeah. I want to yes, hear please. your opinion, right? Like, so in the in the workplace, right? If I give you a staircase, right, and everybody can use that staircase, great. That's that's equality, right? Like everyone can go up and down the staircase. Now you've got someone who maybe has a disability; they're in a wheelchair. Yeah. They don't have 
Like, they still have access to the staircase if they want. Like, everyone's got access to the staircase. But Correct. now they are still disadvantaged, right? Correct. Regardless of whether you've provided something that was supposed to be for everyone, they still do not have the same opportunity to get to the top of, you know, floor two, right? So what so, does that wheelchair lift look like? Well, so, so... Besides a program in the employer that I think all of us would unanimously agree on. So it, it, when you say implementing these support groups... And programs would be the wheelchair lift up the steps. I'm fine with that. But then when it comes to, you know, trigger point here, but when it comes to reparations or, you know, t- taxes and there, there's a financial well, I, I think there's, I think this. those are two drastic yeah. worlds. They are. They Very are, drastic they are. worlds. They are. <laughs> Very different. But, but I, I want to draw upon the extremes because, again, sure. your narrative is so clear – Anybody with a heart goes, get the person with the wheelchair up the steps. But my question is, and that's what the nitty-gritty is, when you really get into the uncomfortable piece of the conversation, is what does that wheelchair lift look like? And I think we all would agree, as we all agree that that program is beautiful, the programs and support groups, we want them, they're beautiful, they're perfect. But I think deep down we all know in our hearts that ain't enough, right? No, I mean, but how, nothing's ever enough. Like, there's always work to be done. Right. Right? So it's really unboxing how do we do that work with allocation of resources. And that then does come down to finances. It, it then does come down to network. It then co- does come down to districts. It comes down to – it breaks down so much. So I, I feel, to your point, about equity, especially within the workspace, it really is on the backs of the executives to understand their people and to listen to their people. Listen to the people that are making you money. Because at the end of the day, you can't survive. Your company can't survive without your employees doing their work productively, being happy with their work, and staying there. I like period. That. So you need to listen to what their needs are, what their wants are, and what their goals are. If you have those three things aligned, I feel that success is, is definite like for that. everyone. And I think, like, on exactly what you're saying, I think a lot of it is about taking into account someone's individuality, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're not just providing something as a blank slate for all of your employees, but you're really getting to know them, getting to know their goals, you know, how do they want to grow? How can you best support them mm-hmm. for them to achieve their goals, right? It's not about hindering other people, right? Like, everyone is going to have their own goals, their own se- separate financial situation, yeah. right? But it's about, pr- like, bringing out the best in your employees and, like, promoting them and helping them succeed right so helping everyone succeed however they individually need it i think it's more granular than just i'm going like to provide a, a, a comparison on on joe's note so imagine you know we're all friends here right um imagine you guys come out here and for me the best way that i can show that i am being of resource to you is hey you're here here's some money go do your thing um you're like hey Rhett. Can you um, give us a tour of the city? Uh, no, nah, but I can have a car. I can hire a service and do it for you. You might have a good experience, but where's the connection? Where's the humanity part? Where's the investment of self, the, invest, the investment of person? That's what's lacking. And, and employees see that. They see the disconnect with their executives, with their hiring leaders, with their counterparts, where they're, they're like, hey, look, we're providing these groups. But we expect you to do the work. I'm going to be back here a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit disconnected. 
And that's where unhappiness happens. And that's where people do leave. So if you think about a friendship, if you care about a friendship and a relationship, you guys would be a little disheartened if I were to invite you here, provide some resources to you, but not be fully invested. Invested in your time, invested in your feelings, invested in your interests, invested wow. in you. So it applies to every other aspect of, of the world, especially within the workspace. I want to pick your brain on something because I really love that point. And what, it, what it's kind of highlighted for me is the focus is, or the focus of responsibility tends in this conversation to point at the employer, right? So now what we've looked at as a socialist issue has kind of narrowed itself down to a professional issue. It's kind of a workplace issue. We, we've kind of projected it on a, on, on a society communal issue, but really the heart of it is in the professional sector. And I don't know, to me that's very interesting because it seemed like, what it, because you got to understand, I come from this philosophy background. So when I tune into uh, equity versus equality debate with like, say, Jordan Peterson, he's, he's coming from like a social philosophical perspective. So it's one of these like, uh, like governing people social types of perspectives where the reality is it's it's more narrow than that yeah it's, it's it's an employee relationship because really once you get to the bottom of the conversation of society it all tends to this is only fixed when you're at work like that's where it's at this this issue starts and ends at work it's in my opinion alex and joe it's just a relationship issue period it stems from the household like to me it's the household i mean how many of us can say that we have parents that say that they do what they that they do what they can for us because they love us, right? It's their responsibility to take care of us and to do what they can to make sure that we're healthy, that we're, you know, and and safe and secure, right? But the investment, there's been many times where I felt like my dad wasn't fully invested in my interest and and doing the extra step to make me feel seen, to make me feel valued. But for him, as if we're using an employee as a comparison, him as the executive of this company and as my dad, he's doing what he feels best and what's needed, the, the, the foundational resources to make sure that I'm living and breathing and eating and healthy. So, right. uh, you know, I think relationships is the thing that starts off in the household, and that's where we get our foundations of what a good relationship looks like and what a bad relationship looks like. It stems from our parents. It stems from who we live with, and then it reflects out and extracts into the world and goes into the workspace. It goes into relationships. It goes into friendships. You know, it, it, it's, I really think the household is the foundation. Okay. Yeah. It, and I, I'd like to draw upon that a little bit, right? You're saying that the relationship just in your family, like you're, you know, you and your dad, right? That extract, if you extrapolate that in, you know, turn it into more of the, you know, employee versus employer, mm -hmm. right? Same thing. You know, maybe your dad thinks he's providing for you and giving you everything you need, but he's never like actually asked you, has yeah. this helped, right? He hasn't lifted up your voice yeah. and used your voice to like grow, right? Yeah. And you're angry in the background. You're upset by some rule he set, but he hasn't asked you and considered your opinion, right? You're going to be unhappy. You being unhappy maybe makes you be, you know, a, like disruptive in the house and you're not, you know, doing your chores and yeah. things, right? But... Maybe come to find if he was to ask you about what makes you happy and like how can he help you the best, maybe you improve and that makes him happier, right? So it's a mutually beneficial yeah. relationship. Same thing in the workplace, right? Yeah. 
employer asks employee, hey, what can I do to help you? Then you work harder because they're actually considering your viewpoints. 100%. And you just, you want to output, right? Like the other day when, when I was working, I'm so happy to provide for my employer because they provide me with the opportunity to be successful and they ask me how I can help them. So, and that, may, and that means the world. And unfortunately, at, in positions of, of more responsibility but lower pay, that type of care, that type of, of allocation of concern doesn't exist really. And right. so that does cause more disgruntlement. That does cause more resentment. That does cause more pain for those people that work in those tend to be blue collar positions, you know? Right, right. No, I, I, I think that's a great point. Um, now I think to loop it back to our experience here in California, mm-hmm. um, so one of the things that then we struggle with is, it, or what I want to hear how you guys approach the situation is then when you are eating a cronut, in front of somebody who has had a long line of struggles in their life. Yeah. Now, Joe, at the beginning of the the podcast, had kind of alluded to the the slew of things that can get someone there. Financial hardship, familial issues, mental health, obviously, and, and it's an onion. There's layers to it. It's not just one of those things. Correct. So here's the dilemma we have. Again, I can't project onto any given one of those things because it's going to be a combination. You don't know which it is. So when you've got a giant population in your community that A, doesn't want to work, or B, has a mental health issue, cannot do it, C, has a physical issue that prevents them from doing it, familial issues, financial issues, whatever it is, pick amongst them, combine them, however it is. They're all different. They're all different combination. How do you create equity in a situation like that where people can't work, people don't want to work, this whole thing, and then as a society with empathy that wants to care for people and make it fruitful for everybody, you're still stuck picking up the pieces for them. I have the perfect answer for you for yes. this. Example being the, the, young, the young lady that we saw last night where we were getting the donuts. To your point, how do we create this equity? How do we fill in this equity gap for someone like her? Perfect example. She, how she currently looks, she cannot walk into even a McDonald's if she wanted to and ask for an application to apply and get a job. Good point. And you know why? Because of the bias surrounding what she looks like. What is she wearing? How's her communication? Does she have a place of residency? Does she have a current job? Transportation. Like transportation. Like so many factors that make it hard for her to do it. She might have the will to want to, but she knows that the current state of how she is and the resources that she has, it makes it damn near impossible. So we have to be more empathetic to, it's not that most people don't want to work, it's that most people don't have the accessibility to have equal opportunities to be seen for that opportunity, given where they're currently at, because it's so hard to get out of that if they don't have money to go to a hotel, to take care of themselves, to groom themselves, to buy clothes. Like, there's so much stacked against so, them. So what answers that, or what solves that problem? I think more, more shelters? No, I, I think just creating more more outreach programs that and governmental money that goes to those programs 
to help re restore people back into society in a way where you're not just throwing them out. You think about um, kids that live in the foster care system. Once they turn 18, they're systemed out. They right. just expect them to go out into the world and, oh. and, and to be successful. That is a child. It's a child that's had so many limitations and setbacks in their lives and experiences that hinder them from being able to do just that. And so, I, I, again, it goes back to humanity. We have to be very cognizant and aware of everyone's situation. And even for me, when we were out there last night getting the donut, my, my lack of self-awareness, not only of myself but of the environment – it took her saying something to us for me to realize that, yeah, I was filming you guys eating a donut and she was in the background. That wasn't cool. But I let, I let my lack of judgment because of my privilege not recognize that at the time until she had to say something, yeah. you know? Right, right. Yeah. And it, to, to be honest, like, I, I, I think, like, based on this conversation, we can kind of look at, you know, just when you when you turned 18, did you have to leave your house? Like, no, you had a place to live, right? right. And you Listen, and, I'm 28, and, and I'm behind whispers. But, I'm going to talk about how I'm still in that basement. <laughs> but, but, like, but like, it, 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 like those, those things that maybe you don't think about, like, it's yeah. like, you, you were at 18, you still could go out and, like, get a job. You, you had access to clothes and things. If we started Blank Slate right now out of foster care, I'm 18, right? Like, I don't... Like maybe necessarily have a place to live right off the bat. Like I have to yeah. earn money, and if I were to go to McDonald's, and even if I wanted to bust my butt, right, I go work at McDonald's. I'm making I don't know twelve dollars an hour. Is that enough for me to put a down payment on a an apartment? Because they they require sorry, excuse me, a security deposit, right? You they, one month's rent, and you have to be able to pay like for that month, right? Hopefully, have a good credit so, score if you have a credit established. Yeah, but that's but out of foster care. I mean, I I, I unfortunately. This is not yeah. the space that I'm familiar with, so I, I don't know. But like, you know, it, it's it's whether you want to work or not, you're you're starting from like a much lower value. Yes, right. And well, we all can agree that we all come from privilege. Uh, some 100%. sense of it. There's different levels of privilege, and I'm not speaking just white privilege. I'm speaking of just privilege of of existing and living a life. Yeah. I agree. You know, we all come from that, and our parents have set us up in some degree to be successful when we either graduate from high school or higher education. A lot of people aren't afforded that. And if they are afforded that and they fall off on the wayside, you know, at some stage in their journey, that's not for me to judge. What for me to do is to really see, figure out how I can help and how I can be a contributor to them getting back into a place of, of being a contributor to society. Yeah. And, and I love both of those points. The, the heartbreaking piece of life, the reality of existence, is n not, no, no one here on this couch has come up with a new idea for how to solve this problem, right? The, the, it is these programs. So it, we know what the answer is. It has been on multiple occasions attempted, created. And the problem is, it, and I wish I had, I don't have my folder of information, but there are specific programs that have been highlighted in California where... They are for housing and, and shelters, food, uh, and we, while we acknowledge this is the solve, we want these types of pro programs, there's a human element to this whole aspect. Greed. People that have privilege that take advantage. And so what do we do when the programs we implement um, are kind of commandeered and, and controlled Sometimes by selfish people who suck it dry for everything it is. While we're here to help people, 
I'm making 400 grand a year because I want to live high off the hog in California as well. And so while it's a nonprofit, people are still making bank working for these programs. And that's a good thing, I guess, in some ways. You don't want it to, but you want to compel people to want to do that. But where's the balance when the human aspect shows that people take advantage? I don't have an answer for that. I mean, it's completely complex. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know what? I think the stronger point is because that does happen, that doesn't mean it should deter you from taking the initiative, right? It, it shouldn't stop the effort. Yeah. So I agree in that aspect. But I think part of why we are where we're at is because of the bad actors that have kind of put themselves in a position of assistance and help and have taken it for themselves. But like, let, let's let's be let's be very clear here, right? People that are maybe collecting from the system, right? Who you might say like are taking advantage, and, I, and I'm not sure if you were referring to like I'm not talking about individuals or yeah, I'm talking about the person who's getting paid to manage the nonprofit that the government is funding. So I mean, to answer your question, I, and I hate to be cliche, I think the answer is to vote, right? Like you have you have yeah. to put in place put legislation in place to prevent. I don't say corporate greed, right? Or, you know, like people Are from... this closer. Yeah. People that are, you know, skimming off of the top, right? I think... there's And there's bad actors everywhere. Like, yeah. we can all imagine a perfect world, perfect legislation, perfect government, perfect society. It will never be perfect. Never. The goal, to your point, Alex, is doing as best as we can. But there will always be bad actors. There will always be people that will game a system. And look, if they're gaming the system, instead of me judging them on them gaming it, I want to understand why they need to game it in the first place. That gets Good to point. the root of it, you know? Yeah. And I think society, majority, doesn't think that way. We just judge. We point like the finger that. and we judge. But people are doing it for a reason. And it's being empathetic and figuring out why, because there's a deeper truth to it. And, let's, and once we know that deeper truth, let's see if we can solve that problem. Because then that will lead to us naturally solving this surface-level problem of them gaming the system. I love that. I honestly love that. That is an incredible point. Because even like the, the socialist that jumps in and goes, well, we've got this problem of like the Elon Musks and Jeff Bezos of the world that just own too much of the wealth. I think that solves that problem too, right? Joe Rogan goes, I mean, Joe Rogan is worth what? $300 million, let's say, something like that. And one day he'll be a billionaire. <laughs> but when he's on his show, he talks about, like, I, I don't know how people don't have enough, right? Like, at, at that point, like, when do you say I've had enough? But also, there's a mindset that, like, you don't become Kanye West or Jeff Bezos without the mindset of, like, I'm taking it all. Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mentality. So there is no off switch because that's what got you there. So I, I only say all of this because I, th I really like Rhett's point of when you get to the bottom of, like, these bad actor issues, it solves greater issues. You could really find out why yeah. that, billion, that Saudi oil guru that just owns countries, why enough is never enough. Human right? nature. It's just human, it's, yeah. human nature, unfortunately, right? And, like, 
there are amazing people in the world that have wealth and try to Absolutely. spread it. And like, like I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say like Bill Gates is a fantastic example. Come on, man. Put so much money towards And his helping. wife, Melinda. Oh my God, they're uh, seriously like amazing, right? And a billion dollars is a lot of money. It's hard to spend a billion dollars. I've heard some of these people talk about, you know, how they actually struggle to find a charity. You can't just donate a billion dollars. Like it's not, it's not as easy as it may, may sound. Um, but I think like, with what they're trying to do. Like, I think there are, there are good people out there. Yeah. Right. Trying to actually like help and give their money to people that in need. So. And most of those people, they don't seek notoriety from it. They don't seek recognition. And then the media only focuses on negative things because that's what sells. That's what keeps, that's what keeps the communication going. So we have to remember that, that there's a lot of good happening in the world, but we're just unaware of it most times because that's not what's being presented to us. I love that. I love that. Um, this was a strong conversation topic. And I like you presenting it in that way because that gives us an opportunity to pivot. Um, something more, maybe a, a, a lighter note as well. But, like, one of the coolest experiences ab about this, this podcast in Los Angeles has been developing this relationship with a new friend and what it, what to me it means and what it, what I think it means to the rethink tank or what it highlights of the rethink tank we put people in boxes right so what i look like the word choices i use i mean no offense joe i came and visited you and you literally looked at me and you were like under whisper you grabbed me to the side you're like please just don't talk about any of your beliefs my 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 I don't want to I don't want that. Oh, and, I, I and to me, one it was like man that that really hurts one because it, it's as if I don't have the ability to control myself in a social situation and monitor the different personalities. But why it, why it really stood out to me, or what what it highlighted for me is this inability to or a fear to cross the not you maybe people around you, but a fear to even expose yourself to what you've already projected as the other. You've turned it off, they're the other, and now I can project whatever I want onto them. So I can plug my ears and la, la, la. I don't need to hear what you have to say because I already have my perceptions and, and beliefs about what you're going to say. And what the coolest thing is, and, and on surface level, there, this conversation should never have happened, right? This should never have transpired. I'm from a flyover state with a ba basket of deplorables. Should be easily forgotten. The ideas I hold are dangerous. You, we, we don't like them. And society tells us we're different. I don't know, Rhett. I've spent a whole weekend with you so far, and I've seen nothing but commonality. But we live in a world that tells us we're different. We, we have our different interests and... Um, like the whether whether it be sexually or you know intimately, whatever, yeah. whatever the case may be, we're very different. This conversation should never happen. What was really cool to me is I had a conversation with somebody who's politically different than me. You watched the episode, reached out to me, and we started a conversation, and that that snowballed into a relationship, and. What it has really shown me and what I think it really highlights for the, the goal and initiative of the Rethink Tank is no matter what that is, if you want to come from a place 
of just liberate me from my ignorances. I don't need to be right. I, I, the key is I'm not trying to prove myself right. I don't need the ego stroke of, well, I won. We, we had an equity versus equality debate, and I won. I don't want – the, the real key is, and this comes down to like a thing I always say, there's no such thing as stupid questions. If you want to ask what color is the sky because you don't know it's blue, but you're afraid to look stupid, you, it be, it's best you look stupid before you continue moving on not knowing the sky is blue. So I want to just be liberated from my ignorances. And the beautiful thing is when, when you always come from that place of open heart, genuine, genuine uh, vulnerability, uh-huh. the experiences, the relationships, the, the, the path that it opens for you and presents you is remarkable. And I, I really do. I believe you could probably befriend anybody depending on the circumstances and the, the way at which you first meet or you engage. But I, I, I really love that we were able to make something like this happen. Go to the other side of, you know, Ohio, the way they look at Californians. To be able to come over here and talk to somebody who would be on the other team, that we should never have this conversation, I think really highlights, I don't know, the, the beauty to your point you were making as we concluded the equity. And it's just... Trying to approach people with concern and care, like and, and I, I guess empathy. Well, well, look, I don't well, like look, using the same I, words. I, but. I I like that there's differences between us because that allows for space to learn. And when there's too much commonality, what can I gain at the end of the day? Like very probably very little. I can relate, but what am I gaining? And so I I like when. And at least for me, I always make a cognizant effort to just want to learn. And to your point, like you said, you, you want to really rethink things and be in a position to learn and understand. You don't have to win all the time and be right. Um, I, I like that there's differences between us, you know, and even with Joe. Like, we have different differences on certain things, and we have commonalities in a lot of things. But that's what makes the world beautiful if we take the time to sit down and really listen Sit down and not judge. Sit down to understand. Listen to understand. Um, you might not agree, but you probably can understand my perspective on something and the vice and vice versa. Um, you know, to enter your earlier point about like labels and um, identities and you know how different parts of the world have different ideologies and outlooks on certain things. You know, people look at Los Angeles. As much as I love this city, they look at it as, oh, those, those liberals, those, you know, <laughs> pot smokers. And, you know, they're lazy and they're all about themselves. And that's really far from the truth. And you can look at any other state and city in this, at least in this country, and you'll find people that fit that mold. You know, so I think putting people in these boxes, um, these generalized boxes, it's not okay. Um, it, it, there's a way that we can step back and unlayer the onion to really discover the beauty in humanity. How did you develop that perspective? It, it's one that's it took always pain. resonated with It took me, pain. But. It took pain. It took me, it took me having to go through certain experiences in my childhood, certain experiences in my adolescence and my you know, younger life development to have to sit back and really self-reflect. You know, as, as a black queer man, Growing up, 
in a black household by a single mother. Um, father was in and out of the picture and identifying as a man, identifying with the things that I can relate to and that I found interest in sports, women or girls at the time, um, you know, car, like the, the typical stereotypical masculine things I genuinely had an interest in. And then over time I started to recognize that, Oh wow. Like I might find this, this guy or this, or this boy at the time, like, you know, attractive. And then what, but what does that mean for me? Because I've been raised and conditioned to, and taught that that is bad, you know, from a religious standpoint, that's bad from a cultural standpoint, you're a black man. Like you don't do that. You know, I, I was never taught and sat down with my parents to learn about sexualities, to learn about just interests and attractions. Never was a conversation because it was always conditioned to me. You're a handsome, you're a handsome black man, handsome young man, you know, women, girls. And not that I didn't like that. I wasn't pushed towards that. I, I think we're all influenced by things, but um, I just discovered that the more I experienced life, the more it allowed me to understand that there's more to me that I don't know yet. And there's more to life that I don't know yet. And I need to sit down with myself and discover who I am. And I'm still doing that work. It's not easy. Like, I'm 33 years old, happily married, and um, I'm still discovering that there's parts of me that I didn't know existed. And it's just embracing that. And embracing that um, the journey is what's beautiful. And whatever people think doesn't matter, man. Like, I'm so content with my life. And luckily, it's come to a place where my family... You know, my mom, she's very loving and understanding of me, of who I am as a person. She doesn't use a label or what I identify as sexually as the basis of who I am. And neither do I. And I think that having a supportive husband, um, having a supportive group of friends and family members that advocate for my happiness, that's what's key. And, but a lot of people don't have that. They don't. A lot of people live their life, their true life, their true selves behind closed doors and they're suffering. They're suffering because they're trying to fit the mode of what other, people's have, other people have created for them. And so they can outwardly face and present themselves a certain way to fit that mold, to fit that agenda, but deep down, it is a struggle for them. Yeah, so I gotta ask you, would, you, would, it, would it be too cheap of a Blaken statement for me to say, this whole conversation, we've raised a lot of issues, social issues, a lot of things that need to be addressed and fixed for us to get anywhere, right? And it breaks my heart that I feel like I'm like short-circuiting because every time it, to me, comes back to a strong household. Mm -hmm. And it, that's the killer, is to say... Blanket statement to, to a conversation we had, had last night. I've always said a two-parent household, but in a modern world, that doesn't mean two parents living in the same house, or it can even be one parent, or a parent and a grandma. There, there's This is modern family, right? Like, this is 2022. But having, I think it is really difficult. Like, I mean, you can speak to it more than I can, but to be a single mother in America has to be the greatest struggle. I, I just, it's I feel like struggle. there are so many things stacked against you. And then not as many families are so fortunate that the children that are raised in that family 
come out as strong as them. Oftentimes, they're the ones that fall by the wayside because I have to pick up multiple jobs or I have to concern myself with all the bills and the housing and all this stuff that the the children tend to fall by the wayside, which then results in a, a negative impact on their development. So... Or, or yeah. is opposite, or the, the parent is investing so much into the children that they're not investing in themselves as a parent, as a person, and then that still has an impact on the kid. Absolutely. And it has a bigger impact on the parent. Right. Because Great you have to point. remember, parents were once children, and parents were once raised by their parents, and societal, societal pain and cultural damage that is generational, it carries with us. Um, the pains that my mother, as a single parent, carried with her as a childhood because of her experiences as a married woman as a divorced woman as a mother as a professional those all influence me it all influences how she interacts with me how she disciplines me how she communicates with me how she takes interest in me how she dictates to me as a parent like that those all influence those interactions to then create me to create this uh, this foundational version of who I am but then I need to with time, with experiences, with exposure, I then start to figure out that, oh, I'm not this, I don't fit into this box that I've been placed in. Something else is telling me that I'm more than this, but are, um, is my mom going to relate to that? Is my mom going to understand that? Is my, are my friends going to understand that? Is my, my social group going to understand that? That plays a huge part in people's mental, in their psyche, in their emotional development. And some people take the chance, they take the risk, and they say, you know what? I'm putting me first. Fuck everyone else. I'm going to learn who I am and embrace that. But most people, they say no. It's easier for me to present the way I need to present myself and do me behind closed doors, no matter how much it hurts. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's sad. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. And, and this kind of goes back to, like, what you were talking about before about, like, society – um, you know, saying that we're all, you know, different, but like, you know, we have, we are the same, but it's like, I think it's kind of both, right? It's, it's, you've got commonalities, but you could never replicate someone's per- experiences perfectly, right? If you took every single moment that he's ever been through, right? And like, just put it on a giant timeline and try to like replicate that with someone like you, it just, it, whether you th- whether you think you have similarities or differences, you could never understand truly what that person has gone through, and, and all of the the butterfly effect butterfly effect that has led them to where they are today. Correct. Right. So I I, I think it's it's you know I mean the I, butterfly effect literally put Joe in the same seat Kanye West was in, interviewed in like a week and a half ago. That's what Rico was telling me. Kanye sat right there. Oh. So look, look at that butterfly effect. You put you right in the seat. Uh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> can I can I tell you can I Please. just share a quick story? I think it might help kind of relate and bridge everything together on this topic. Everyone's childhood, everyone's life experiences are different. You are only in control of your actions. You can never you might be able to influence someone but you can never control their outcome and what they're going to do. I've always resonated with this message of you're responsible for your reaction. Your reaction is your responsibility. You're not responsible for how someone chooses to react. And at the end of the day, life is hard. You know, we have all, I'm sure, experienced loss, unexpected loss. Uh, We've all experienced heartache, but we're here. We got through it. And that's all you can do is just continue forward and accept the reality for what it is. And I like, we, you know, back to the carpe diem, right? Like, 
hop in a tin can and fly to the other side of Los Angeles. Like, do what your heart tells you always. Yeah. Um, to to lend to that, I mean, the unfortunate part. I I really like what you've kind of emphasized is part of the struggle is finding out what your heart wants. Mm -hmm. The other part of the struggle is then once you know what your heart wants, taking it. And depending on what it is that your heart wants, that can sometimes be significantly easier than others. Yeah. So, and I think that's the thing. We have to separate what people choose to identify as compared to who they, um, compared to what they feel inside can be two different things. You know, you're not the label that either is thrown on you or that you choose to identify as. Like, you have to just know who you are deep down in yourself. I think a lot of it is societal pressures, norms. You know, how can society, how is society going to view, you know, who I am? I think people tend to shelter, like, who they truly are because of external pressures. But you know what? I, I think that battle... What you're, what you just brought up, unfortunately, I don't think that battle ever goes away. It's, um, it doesn't. You're right. It look doesn't. at look at Socrates. Why I think the story of Socrates is the most poetic and honest to God, the backbone to this show of what I my heart sees the show as. Socrates, all this guy did was walk through Greece asking questions. Why are you doing that? What do you think of the new politics or the new... And he would just just roam the streets asking regular-ass people. That's what this show is. This isn't, I'm Joe Rogan, I get to talk to Elon Musk. This is regular people, and that's how you really get to the heart of things. And the state was threatened by him provoking thought and, and opening the minds of the, just the populace, the masses that weren't thinking at the time. Making and, and the state was in control of religion. And so as he was going through asking all these deep questions, the state stepped in and put him on death row. They had offered to him exile because the, the, the penalty was that he was questioning the religion, the state religion. Sure. And so, and putting, instilling doubt in children into the state religion. So he was confronted with exile. And instead of being exiled... He wanted to die on the cross of, no, you're going to kill me here in Greece. And he spent his final days in a cell, and he was with Plato and Aristotle, and there's, there's writings to that effect. All right, I needed to butt in for the nerds that actually care, but Aristotle would not have been there. Plato was there. Socrates dies. Plato then teaches Aristotle. That's the order of things. You're welcome for the philosophy lesson. And... He, he died in Greece because, why, now to the point, why I raise that story, I don't think that struggle ever goes away because there is a nature to the human existence of we need each other. We need companionship. You will lose your mind in uh, solitary confinement. You, children are, are broken from the beginning if they aren't coddled as an infant, if they don't have the proper nurturement that, that we need. There, there is a, a nature that like we need each other, community. Correct. And so I don't know that problem ever goes away. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't go away. I think someone's always going to get hurt, right? There's yes. going to be pain yes. somewhere, yes. right? Whether or not it's because, you know, the, you know, 
we're talking about like the example of like coming out, right? Like being gay. And I've never had like the Well, I'm not gay. I don't Sorry, excuse me. Excuse me. Bye. I apologize. You're good. But coming out into society where maybe the you know you're you're not straight right 50 years ago is very different than how it looks now right there's still there are, there is there are still people who think that it's terrible it's awful like it shouldn't be a thing it should be outlawed whether that's because of the religion or you know how just how they were they were raised yeah but we're progressing right i think as a society so. we're moving I, forward it's I about just wanna, a funny thought you put in my head was you know last night we were talking about how kind of what joe was alluding to is Maybe a hundred years ago, the the social standard was totally different, and we kind of acknowledged it last night that like the Romans before they would go off to war would jerk each other off, and then they'd go out. and And again, you'd probably go um, that was the norm. There were plenty. They wanted that. But then also, I'm just picturing the guy that was not about it at all, but also didn't want to be socially ostracized. It was like, fine, let's fucking do this thing. Just don't kick me out. That, that's actually that's, that's it's, funny. It's quite that's quite an interesting perspective. Yeah. It is. Right? Yeah. It is. Because it is. it's go- that. That's I think the highlight I want to make is it's going on everywhere. Like, everybody's got their struggle. I think we look at, like, the, the masses, norms, right? Norms are only a thing because it's a majority of the populace that holds that norm. They wear their pants this certain way. They talk this certain way. Whatever the norm is, it on- the term, that thing, only exists because it's a commonality we all share. Yeah, yeah. So those things change with, with how we approach them. And so, I don't know. Unfortunately, it seems that it boils down to the utilitarian perspective again, yeah. maximizing happiness for the the majority of people. And the 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 scary part about utilitarianism is when that the happiness of the majority of people is somehow a a bad thing. Like whatever whatever brings them happiness when it's bad, you know that you're putting a lot of faith in what makes the masses happy is a good thing. And the scary thing is when, you know, you have a dumb society or their heart is in the wrong place, when you focus on maximizing happiness, not always what makes that the society happy is what's good. Sure. So something else that you have to keep on sure. balance. But I don't know. Life is hard. Like, I think we it. can all agree with that. And we can only Cheers. play the best cards that we are dealt. Uh, I, I think pain, there is a lot of beauty in pain. In a sense where if you're open to analyzing that pain, you will explore that there is beauty because there's growth that can come from it. I think about struggle. I think about tension, right? Like without tension, without the struggle of need and want, there can't be growth. You look at a plant that starts off as a seed without the struggle of getting through that shell, getting through the soil, the need to get to the surface, the need to get that sunlight. That's where the flower flourishes. That's where it's beautiful. So how about this? How about this? What, one of the things, uh, the, the first night here that we, hi- we highlighted is there is no good without the contrast of bad. Yeah. So there is no success without the tribulations that come with that, right? Like you have to dig the seed. The seed, you have to bust out the seed. You have to dig through the dirt. You have to, you're, you don't even have leaves yet. You, you literally have no ability to get nutrients. And now you've got to, fo- now and you're vulnerable. And you're vulnerable. You're very vulnerable. You could break any, mo- any second. 
Boom. We're and you got to slowly yes. anchor yourself down with roots. You got to slowly tap into the sun to get nutrients, to become stronger. All of these things. The problem is then when you've got a few people, and I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm not saying it's the majority of the people in these situations. But there are people who exist that just simply don't want to do it. Like It's like, the, the, back to my point, working at Sprint, pouring concrete, cleaning dishes and and wiping down tables are all the precursor to going to college, going to law school, working at the all those things have to come first for you to be the flower. And the problem is if you don't like busting out the seed, going through the dirt, anchoring your roots, getting some nutrients to grow, if all of those things you don't like, but then you go, "Well, why the hell am I not a rose? Make me a rose, damn it. Why am I not a rose?" At what point do we go well, you didn't do the hard stuff first. So, a hundred percent. But like, just to keep using this analogy, it's like if I plant a seed in my yard, right, and expect it to grow, and then I take another seed and I plant it in the dark, like away from everything, right? Great like, point. You don't Good. have and access. that's equality. And that yeah, is equality. Exactly right. I still, pla- <laughs> you know, I still planted you. Wait, wait. You, I, you, know. I, you know, to defend so, the point, I want to say equal opportunity, not equal outcome. Exactly. So the key is rose, not rose. I'm not evaluating off of that. I'm evaluating off of same dirt, same sunlight, same location, same amount of water. At that point, when you go, but I don't want to bust out the seed and go through that. Now, accountability is knocking at the door. It's got to be. Sure. Right. But but I don't think here's the thing. Right. Like you're you're saying like, you know, you've got two of the same seed. You've got two rose seeds. The problem is we're talking about people that are different. Right. So it's like you might have a pumpkin seed. You might have a rose seed. Right. And the difference is like the the pumpkin seed might require more water. It might require more sunlight. Exactly. It has different needs. So to make it successful, you have to understand that pumpkin seed. Joe, you hit it on the head. man. I, I agree with your points, but. What do we do when we live in a society where Instagram and all these other uh, social mitigating factors impacting us try to convince the pumpkin that they are a rose, right? Like at some point, you need to cater yourself to, here's the problem. We've got a whole slew of people that were sold the golden ticket of college, and it wasn't the answer for everybody. Now, you can make way more being a plumber than you can being, you know, a teacher in many respects because the trades are drying up. We've sold everybody the fool dream, the fool's dream. And it, it, it will work for a lot of people, but it's not going to work for everybody. So you've convinced the pumpkin seed who would have flourished otherwise in their lane that they're a rose and now they're looking at society going, I got nothing, so fix this for me. And you're like, well... One, we do owe fixing it for them because we're the ones that put them in the box of the. Now they're in the wrong position to begin with. But we need to acknowledge that we're putting the pumpkin seed in a position where they think they need to be a rose. And there's no this uh, reality check of the circumstances of people. Like if we're going to go, each each seed is different. Then we need to remind them that it is different, and we need to cater to those differences. Can I ask you one last question as we wrap up? Please. Because this was supposed, we got to keep it shorter, but this was one of the topics we were going to talk about. And I think it, it, it um, can have an effect here. Not just racial diversity, but can forced diversity have a negative impact? And I'll admit that negative impact can be outweighed by positive impacts. 
but can there be negative impacts? So in the idea of forced diversity, for me, it boils down to what's the intention, right? So if the intention for forced diversity is for like these like superficial metric goals for a public perception of we are about equality and inclusion, um, we are about, you know, all these things that don't truly matter compared to forced diversity of, hey, look, there is this, there are several underrepresented groups that are marginalized and we need to make a forced effort to get them in a place of being seen and equal to opportunities. I am all about that. So there is a time and place for I, what I believe forced diversity. But again, diversity is not just a skin tone and a gender. We're all diverse. Every single person in this room, we are all diverse people. We come from diverse backgrounds, diverse beliefs, diverse experiences, diverse viewpoints, diverse perspectives. And that's what makes oh, at least a work environment a beautiful place because then what comes after that naturally is an inclusive experience. Hopefully. I love that. That's yeah. the end goal. So if we have to have a forced diversity approach for underrepresented groups that are truly marginalized to get them to a place of equality, absolutely I'm for that. As long as it's from a place of good intention for the people and not for the... the I just head. want to acknowledge, I challenge any person out there to answer that question better than Red did. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm just that was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> just put drop. It, put it and down. then Rico jumps up, don't drop our mics. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd Mayweather will kick your ass. <laughs> Yo, but real quick, I need because I don't trust these cameras, and I just want to acknowledge, I need the Hollywood sign behind me to be seen, because this is too perfect. Yeah, it's a beautiful view. Can I zoom with this thing? Uh, These iPhones are killer. What version is your iPhone, bro? Can I use your iPhone? Yours is brand new. Uh, for sure. Just to fit, I'll cut this part out real quick. And you know, yeah. and while while you're doing that, I just want to like kind of reiterate what we were talking about last night. So you know, we had dinner reservations at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and it didn't go well because. I made the mistake of not wearing pants after 4 p.m. And as well as Alex. <laughs> Even though Alex texted me a few times saying, hey, man, are you sure I need to? I can wear pants or shorts? I said, yeah, dude, you're good. You can wear pants. I mean, you can wear shorts. I'm wearing shorts. But had we have wore pants, we would have never had the experience we had by going to Nobu and Malibu, by sitting on by the beach, by seeing Jamie Foxx, by having just a great dinner, a great social experience. Not saying that the Beverly Hills Hotel Polo Lounge is not a great social experience. I, I, I love that place. But, but were I just they going to have at, Wagyu tacos? No, Probably they were not, not going to have Wagyu tacos. What? And they, they weren't going to have Wagyu tacos. Boom. And, they and, have, and Jamie Foxx was not going to be there. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think to the point to close out this amazing uh, episode, everything happens for a reason. Yes. And I think us coming into each other's lives as friends, and I mean, you guys have been in each other's lives much longer than I have with you all, but everything connects in this universe. Everything's very intentional, whether we understand it, whether it's negative, whether it's positive, it's energy, it's intentional, and we have to accept it, recognize it, and be appreciative of it. And I just want to say that I appreciate you both. Rhett, appreciate you too, man. I couldn't be more thankful for this opportunity. And we got to wrap this thing up so Rico can get to Las Vegas and kick it with, with the, <laughs> the cool ones. But no, I, I appreciate this opportunity. 
This space is beyond gorgeous. And it's been such a thrill being able to cultivate this relationship with you to learn. Because, again, I, I love the ability to ask you some asinine questions because it allows me to check that piece of ignorance that I'm carrying. I recognize that the question I'm about to ask is, is uncomfortable or can be inappropriate. But to have somebody that allows that, to, to, to just liberate me from my ignorance, I couldn't be more thankful for that. Joe, thank you for coming here and tagging along on such a journey. Yeah. And I, what's so funny, dude, is there's something very poetic to you being on this podcast because it goes back to 2018 when I started this thing and I was in my basement. And do you remember putting tinfoil hats on? I, I, I we do. We did our Space Odyssey episode. <laughs> like, it's come a long way. And so to go from a basement to, to an apartment in law school to a studio to then Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, it has been such an amazing roller coaster. And soon we're going to be sitting at the same table as Jamie Foxx. And I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that one. I love it, man. Cheers to that. And shout out to Hollywood Unlocked and Jason Lee for providing us this amazing space. Yes. We yes. You, you check out the Jason Lee podcast show just so you can see the studio space. I am in awe over their actual in-house studio yeah, for that show. It's really great. It, lo it looks honestly incredible. It, it's, it's, it's quite a piece of art. Plus, now, as we wrap up the show, i got to say my final thoughts. So, guys, thank you for watching. If we made you laugh, if we made you think, the best thing you can do to support this podcast is share this episode. Now, what I really need you to do is sincerely share the hell out of this episode so then I could go back to <laughs> the Jason Lee show and try to compel them that they need a, a not-afraid-to-rethink guest. So I, I appreciate everybody for listening and giving us your time. You can check all of our content on our website at www.rethinktankpodcast.com. Otherwise, like I said, if we made you laugh, we made you think the best you could do is just share this episode. Otherwise, guys, we'll catch you. Yeah. I, I, I say, how, how do we find Rhett? Like, how do we Yes, yeah. yeah. You can find me on Great Instagram call. and Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, Rhett, R-H-E-T-T -T underscore Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Um, my accounts are verified. There might be some fake ones. Just look for the blue checks, and you'll notice me. Heck, yeah. So, Joe, thank you for – I literally almost cut it too soon. I appreciate oh, you. Of course. Thank you, guys. Um, next time, we'll see you back in the States. But until then, peace. Peace. Thank you.